You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Sunday night in Hollis, Queens. Mama's cooking chicken and collard greens. No, I'm sorry, I'm lying. It is Sunday night, but there's uh, there's no collard greens. And uh, that was originally a song about Christmas. Was, this is, you know, this, this is falling apart. I'm going to be honest, guys. Welcome to the X-Man Show. I'm Doc Coyle. I always have, uh, I always say that... You can tell the kind of person you are by what's playing in the jukebox in your head, you know, and I'm, I guess, more or less a library of, of movie quotes and, and movies, you know, I always say, like, what's my theme song? Because I think everyone, you'd have a, a, a rhythm to what you, you walk to down the street, you know, and me, I, I would like to believe that it's staying alive by the Bee Gees, you know, just don't, 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 now if you could walk that way, like John Travolta was walking in that movie, you be doing pretty damn good. So, just saying. All right, guys. We have a very good show coming up for you. Mr. Chris Broderick of Active Defiance, ex-member of Megadeth, Jack Panzer, and ex-touring member of Nevermore. But before we get to that, you know, I just want to talk about a few things. It's been an interesting period recently. I've been thinking about a lot of different things. You know, I've been kind of going through... You could say it's a rough time. You could say it's a challenging time. But it makes me think a lot about my time when I wasn't, God forbid. Not to, you know, rehash things, but the show is called The X-Men. So what the fuck am I going to do, right? But I remember having these periods within the band where I think when you're in a, a kind of successful project or maybe the, the perception of it is that it's whatever whatever your endeavor is i think we're kind of trained by socially by our environment to keep up a good front right to always kind of make the the outside world seem as if everything is okay and this has been kind of uh i guess um heightened and and strengthened by by social the social media age and and because of that i think we kind of go both ways right you have people who complain about everything or they're like an open book it's just like here's what shitty happened to me and then you have i think the other side which might be just as bad i don't know i can't really say where you always paint a prettier picture you know, and you, you almost become your own press agent, you know, protecting the uh, this version of things. And I don't know, I just get kind of fucking sick of that, you know, like and when I when I left, God forbid, it was like this relief 
that I could actually talk about frailty. I could talk about um, what I didn't think was going right, what I didn't think was going well. Here's, let, let me talk about failure, you know? And in a sense, I feel like because I've got the podcast going, I'm trying to push more things as a writer. I've got things going on with new bands and I see myself thinking like that again. Like, oh, I have to let everyone know I'm, I'm kicking ass at all times. And I don't know. I think that's kind of a shitty instinct. So it's something I want to try and fight against. Fight against. But then because me, I'm so much, I'm, I'm able to see things from so many angles. I'm also like, well, I also don't want to be that person who's constantly focusing on negativity or what's not working. And so that is a that, that is a struggle, but I to me all the interesting shit is in letting go of this thing in the back of your mind that tells you to uh lie, you know, lie lie about, you know, kind of put on put on a good face. But unfortunately, the way our world works especially the American culture is to kind of act as if, right? You know, uh, you're in a new job. You don't really know what's going on, but just pretend like you do. And we kind of have to do that. I, I get it in a, in a certain degree. It's a survival technique. But from the artistic sense, from the exploration of the of the real truth of the matter, I think it's a it's a failure of us to to deal with that. So this is really just some some things I've been thinking about. This is not anything definitive, but it's a it's a reminder to kind of get at something that I think is freeing because what it's about is fear, right? It's fear of of appearing unsuccessful, fear of appearing weak, fear of appearing um not up to the task. So this is just something that that bangs around in my brain now and I kind of wanted to bring up because you know what sometimes I want to get on here and, and talk about some of these things and I I have to not be afraid of that uh for fear of being judged um because I think I think the the ugly shit is always going to be the the most interesting thing about people so just my thoughts on that uh real quick just want to go through a couple announcements the body count song that I co-wrote called this is why we ride from their new album bloodlust they just made a video for so that's pretty damn sick you know it's even sicker tretch from naughty by nature nork new jersey you know what i'm saying brick town uh, directed the music video so it's pretty badass that's very exciting for me so i'm gonna i'm gonna pat my pat myself on the back and thank you for them for making a video for that song so i guess they they like that one so check that out the new body count video and bad wolves my band has a, we're dropping some something on November 3rd. I can't say what, but just let you know, be, be on lookout. Things are, things are happening. It's been a lot of downtime and we've been getting a lot of feedback from fans basically saying, Hey, you, you put out this video and you put out this song and we love it and we want more. And they're like, why aren't you putting out more? Just want to explain, just give you guys a little explainer about the way the, the music industry works or, or at least has worked with this scenario. We put out a song and video 
and we got a lot of attention from labels and management companies and all everything kind of blew up we, we did one show and we decided to do a, a record deal but you have to remember once you're in that process contracts contracts take a long time to get done and once you have a, once that actually is done then you have to lay out all right when's when is the record coming out how are we going to do this there's there's a lot that goes into it so even if we want to put a song out or show you guys more material or speed up the process sometimes that's not in our hands so apologies on behalf of everyone in bad wolves but a lot of stuff is happening i promise you it's all good it's all sick stuff the band is writing more songs we're I don't know. It's 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 really exciting. So I can't really talk too much about it. But obviously, once a lot of the stuff becomes public, you will hear it on the X Men first. So that pretty much wraps up this intro. I hope you guys en- enjoyed my meanderings. It is what it is. Check out this interview, or as I like to say, this is the podcast realm. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. This wonderful conversation with. One of the best guitar players on earth, most talented guys, nice guy. As you know, like I said, if I was as good as him, I'd be an asshole, but I'm as good as I am, so I have to be nice. This is a great conversation. I learned so much. So if you're a fan of Nevermore, you're a fan of Active Defiance, you're a fan of Megadeth, Jag Panzer, you're really gonna enjoy this. Please check out my conversation with the one and only Chris Broderick. Welcome to the X-Men Podcast, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we're, right now we're in your home studio? That's correct. Is this where... Uh, did you guys do the record here? Yeah, parts of it. So, yeah. like, of course, I recorded all my guitars here. Um, we demoed all the vocals here. And then uh, Sean recorded his drums in Atlanta, where he lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt recorded his bass at his place. Man Shark Studios and um, so you guys are all all spread out, huh? Yeah, absolutely. He's in Southampton, Massachusetts. You know, Henry, the vocalist, he lives here with, uh, well, not with me, but he lives, <laughs> he lives here in L.A. And um, so you know, he it's pretty easy for him to get here. And then when he tracked his final vocals for the CD, he went to his friend's house, Steve White, mm-hmm. who owns Red Light Studios. Right on, man. Yeah, it must be tough. To, you know, I'm, I've had kind of in a situation like that with one of my other bands where I'm pretty much the only one here, so I have to fly out or they have to fly right. out. It's a, it could be a bit of a hassle. <laughs> it is, yeah, but it's, uh, it's only the way the world's going. Yeah, you know, it's it's getting more and more streamlined so that you can send files back and forth really easily. You know, when I demo a song, I render it as an MP3, email it to the other guys, and it's, you know, it's almost more decisive and more precise and it's in the way that it's done but you don't you don't you don't miss the old getting in the jam room working on stuff i do miss that i do miss aspects of that but then there's also the idea that um you know that i think that way in a way is less productive it's Mm -hmm. less like i said it's less organized yeah um but it is more organic for sure yeah i i feel like there's different um there's almost different angles. Like mm-hmm. obviously the idea of sitting down with a bunch of files and be able to like, oh, let's move this part over here or let's try this. And and it's it's a little bit easier to 
be able to look at everything kind of from a, the big a bird's picture, eye, right? yeah, bird's yeah. eye view. But then I, I also notice the one thing that's better about being in the room is you can kind of like little things like developing a transitions, right? right? Or the idea of something might sound good in the studio, but then you actually play it and you're like, man, that doesn't really, it, you know, it sounded all right, but it doesn't translate. So sometimes it, it you know, sometimes it gives you that, um, a barrier between how it's actually going to come off in a live setting. Right, right. You know, so it makes you think a little bit more about that, I've noticed. Yeah, I've I've had to think really hard about that aspect because, you know, we come in and we record a very traditional way for this genre of music, which is, you know, you record the rhythms, you, you look at uh, harmonies, guitars that you want on top, your solos and stuff like that. And definitely that recording process usually encompasses the idea of, a two guitarist band yeah and then when we go out and play live i'm a single guitarist and so i'm really looking for ways all the time to to make it sound as full as possible so, so I'm, I'm wondering about that so you you know before this you're you're playing with mustaine you're playing mm -hmm. with loomis and jack panzer was two guitar with players. mark yeah mark Brighty. right so yeah. what like was that something you were thinking about like i just want to be one guitar player or is it more like Hey, we got to pay a, a fifth guy. Is that is that? It is really more the logistics behind it. It's yeah. uh, you know, um, it's the idea that uh, you know somebody's time is valuable, and right now we're at a level where I just don't. You know, it'd be it would be hard to torture somebody as bad as we we would have to to pull them out on the road at the level we're at right see, now. See you, you see you don't know the the here's what you do. All right? I'm 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 gonna hook you up with some with, right. some with some street knowledge. <laughs> you find one of these young bucks of <laughs> an MI or right. on YouTube right. who's like sure you know you know these kids because not like back in the day like I feel like now they grow on trees right. right? You find one of these kids who's just down for the cause. Yeah, and yeah. And it's like you know they're trust me man they're. They're ready. They're gonna be get to play with all these legends in this band. They're, you know, me. The, I noticed. I just me. don't want to set them up for the the total heartbreak that yeah. they might face when they see that. <laughs> wow, this is this is not quite the rock star lifestyle that I thought I was in for. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, but I think that also um, separates, um, you know, those because in, in in truth, if you can deal with the realities of the grind. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that will, and you're okay with that, right? right? Then that puts you in a position where, hey, if I can deal with this, then I'm going to be able to actually, and I and I like this life, and I say, all right, I know what it's going to take. Right. I think that will establish a, a foundation that will allow you to have success if you're dedicated. Because right. because if, if it starts out and everything's big and it's great, then once things get tough, are you really going to stick around? I right. Exactly. And uh, that's you know that's a big question for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but for me, for the way that we, you know, record and then play live, I, I do like the challenge of trying to make sure that it sounds as big as possible when we record live. So, like, I'll use my gear to its absolute fullest extent, whether it's, you know, using it for harmonizing yeah. a melody over the top or using the looper. The um, looper. That's what... Uh, I have the, one of those Line 6 DL4s, mm -hmm. and I've never used, used the looper, but I'm jealous of when I see people use it, and it's sick. I'm, I feel like I'm going to screw it up. Right. <laughs> is, it, is it hard? Uh, no, it's it takes a little... Uh, you have to prepare ahead of time, and you have to work with it and, and make sure that it's going to be you know 
uh, functional. <laughs> um, you can't just go up on stage the first time and just think, oh, I'm just going to click the pedal and it's going to loop and everything is going to be great. Um, you know, with us, uh, Sean plays to a click. So mm-hmm. the loop has to be deadlocked yeah. in time. And, uh, you know, some some loopers drift a little yeah. bit. So you have to watch out for that. So, you, you know, there, there are things that you have to do. But um, ultimately, when the, the funniest thing for me when I use a looper is uh, there's this one song that we use that we played where I would start out with clean guitar mm-hmm. and that guitar would loop while I would be adding harmonies over the top. And if you screw up that one time in the very beginning, then, then it's, the, gonna, it's, the repeating. <laughs> it's repeating there forever for eternity. And uh, so, you know, it's there's always a little bit of risk in it, but I think um, I think it works out really well, especially in our case. Yeah, I remember uh, Tosin Abasi. He mm-hmm. was in a band uh, called Reflux before Animals as Leaders, and it was a one guitar player band. Right. And he would do that a lot through the set and it was just like all right that guy's that guy's sick there's another band uh russian circles like an instrumental band they do yeah, they, i, I think they have one, them yeah really sick but i think it's one mm. guitar player very like atmospheric and oh, cool. really cool stuff and it builds it's 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 great mm. so i want to ask you some questions about really you know where you came from and your, mm-hmm. your, your foundation so where are you from originally colorado you're from Denver, colorado yeah. so that's where Jack Panzer was was based, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I remember really just Jack Panzer being a Central Media band. So Godfrey right. was on Central Media, and I was like, "Oh, Jack Panzer, that that, that, yep. that band." But I, I, from what I recall, I don't remember the band being like super active, like touring and kind of being right. out there a lot. But I just remember the band putting out a lot of records. So I was looking through some of the history of the band. So you you were not an original member. You joined. No. Late, no. later on and so what was your how, how did that all come together uh it was it was pretty funny actually uh i think that was in 97 mm-hmm. roughly is when i joined and i had a friend of mine that the, my friend that got me back in uh i think it was sixth grade back into the guitar uh the, that first got me playing he was practicing with his band in the rehearsal space next to mine and he came uh, to me and, and told me about, you know, hey, are you interested in maybe, you know, auditioning for Jag Panzer in this band out of the out of Colorado Springs? They've been around forever. They're going to go on tour. And yeah, I couldn't believe how long they've been around. I, yeah. Was... Yeah. They uh, they got a really early start. You know, they were really young when they they when Ample Destruction came out and, and they uh, took like a break. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's I think a, a bit of what happened to them is what happens to, you know, quite a few bands where the the things that looked like they were going to line up and really project them to higher levels and and constant touring and stuff like that didn't quite line up and and therefore they ended up stagnating a mm-hmm. little bit um so at any rate um and that's my assumption by the way mark brighty could tell you better but so, but that's my assumption and uh so uh at any rate Jason Boudreau, my friend, had come to me and told me that, uh, you know, hey, there's this band, Jag Panzer, and, you know, they're you know they looking for a lead guitarist. I can't do it. You know, would you want to maybe do it? And I was like, man, I just I had just signed up for like 18 uh, credits at uh, how, college. How old college. were you at this time? Uh, 
that would have put me at 27. So I was going to go back for my for a second degree. Okay. And uh, um, and were you, were you a, a music major before that? Or yeah, I was a music major before that. So I had been to college for classical guitar performance. Mm-hmm. But this round, I thought that you know, oh, I was like, oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get a psychology degree. That's actually honestly what I was intending to do, and I just registered for all the classes. So you sounded like you were a real adult <laughs> at uh, this time. You were engaging in. You know, forward thinking and looking at the big picture and trying. I to... just, I just pretend. <laughs> I, I play a good game. But at at this time, were you were you like teaching guitar? Were you still like involved in music outside of maybe joining that band? Absolutely, yeah. I was, you know, I was in my own band at the time, a band uh, called Killing Time, Industrial Eden. Like we change names all the time, but Kill- uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, yeah, I was in that band, and then uh, I taught quite a bit. That was uh, one of my primary forms of income, mm-hmm. along with uh, delivering pizzas. Delivering pizzas, man. <laughs> yeah. Old, it's like, pr- pretty soon it's going to be robots delivering that, pizzas. So for you know, for those the pizza guys out there right now, you're the, you're the last line of defense. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so that and you know, pizza delivery and barista should probably be on every musician's resume at some point in their life, right? It's like... Well, I've delivered things. I never delivered pizza. I used to work for Kinko's, mm-hmm. you know, back when it was... Before it was FedEx, and it was just Kinko's. I used to deliver, you know, papers, you know, business papers. Right, right. And then I bar- I bartend, which is kind of like a barista, but, you know... Yeah. I think we make more money. It's... Yeah. <laughs> it all depends on those tips, right? Dude, so. dude. But uh, at any rate, so yeah, so I was I was looking at that and I was trying to get serious about going into, you know, uh, the field of psychology and, um, you know, so I told Jason Boudreau, no, I can't do it. You know, can you tell him I can't do it? But thanks for the offer. And then I thought about it that night. I'm like, you idiot. You know, you can you can go to college. College will always be there. It's never going away. And they will always accept your money, you know. <laughs> so take that opportunity. So I, I got a hold of Jason right away. I asked him to, to try and get me in contact with him to see if there was still the option. And so I went down and, and started working with them. And it was awesome. They were all really generous and, um, you know, uh, you know uh, open, mm-hmm. you know, for, for somebody that's, not been a part of the legacy of their band you know they were really accepting so so did you get full were you like fully involved in terms of writing and that aspect or are you more just yeah that's that's the crazy thing is that uh you know i'm naive at this point i'm like just i walk into this established band thinking oh you know they i'm in the band now so therefore i am part of this band and this band encompasses my ideas and stuff like that and for a lot of you out there, you might not realize this, but that's not really the case in a lot of bands. Yeah. A, a lot but, of bands. But it was that, like that with him. It was like that. Okay. Yeah. Even uh, uh, because we went out and uh, the first thing I did with them is I went and did a European tour on uh, a CD called Fourth Judgment, which Joey Tafoya had uh, recorded with them. And so first thing I did was learn those songs. But as soon as we got done with that that tour they were looking at writing the next CD. And even on that CD, I had contributed three songs. I think if I remember correctly, three songs mm-hmm. to that CD. And of course, still oblivious, just thinking like, oh yeah, here, here's material. Let's, you know, let's record this. And and uh, they did. They 
Mark was was very generous um, in that aspect of allowing me to become part of you know the shape of the band in a way. Yeah, I, th- I think it's obviously you know now that you've been in several bands and you've had different um, perspectives and different experiences, understanding that every situation is not like that. But I can you know I have a very similar situation when um, my brother left, God forbid, and mm-hmm. then Matt Wicklin joined. You yep. know, it was a situation where I think we were just open to that an injection of life sometimes there's getting yeah. new ideas getting a different um perspective exactly or... exactly and i think it can be especially sometimes for a very established man it can be energizing just yeah. to get new blood new you know all that all that stuff so i can imagine that that might have been their perspective considering that they were kind of the earlier generation and all of a sudden they have someone that probably has a little bit more um just more exciting ideas, you know, and, and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm all about it. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I, to me, the, my take on that is that I, I do think, um, because Mark really does shoulder a lot of the, the composition and the, the workload, the logistics of that band. And I think, I think he probably welcomed the, the contribution, mm-hmm. you know? So, so with that band, I mean, was it ever, did it ever get really that busy or were they always kind of like doing a thing here and there? Like I said, cause my whole perception of the band being label mates was like, Oh, like I would hear about them, but I didn't like see a ton of activity. Was right. That, is that, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it was at the time. Um, because, uh, you know, we would do maybe a tour a year, mm-hmm. maybe was it a lot and of then stuff it became less and less over time. What's that? Was it a lot of stuff in Europe? Uh, it was about half and half. Okay. So we went out with like uh, Gamma Ray and Europe and then... Yeah, we I was, I was checking up. This is... Jag Panther some real power metal. Yeah, like, it's absolute traditional, traditional power metal to the core. <laughs> did they get... Did, did you have to wear like the puffy shirt like um, like in Seinfeld? No. no? And <laughs> in fact, that's another area where I'm really surprised they, um, they didn't... You know, they didn't try and impose something on me which i think is quite amazing because at that time i was wearing the most baggy pants you could find you know <laughs> i mean i really was not looking the part of a power metal it was the late 90s right there was the yeah. pants it was like you know the 70s inverse you know instead of the yep. wide pant leg it, the whole pants got really big the, the, the pants had to be like blankets you know what That's i mean right, you would you would basically strap a belt around a blanket did you have the, your... the jinkos yeah oh yeah yeah i had those <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never went down that rabbit hole. Thankfully, I gotta tell you though, those pants are comfortable. Oh, That's for sure. I, I can imagine a lot of room to breathe. Yeah, you know, for your nether regions to That's just right. you know exist. That's right. All right, and there was lots of buckles. Yep. And jangly thing, you know. People... Well, I never got that into the jangly things. Oh, but, okay. But I it, had I kept on that path, I would have been there. All right. Well, you have to send me a picture of that, and then we'll just use that for the. Yeah, there's the... actually there is one picture where I'm on stage with. Uh, uh, with Jag Panzer over probably Vakken or something like that. And I remember it, it's a picture of me up on stage and I, I just laugh now because I'm like, there was a pair of pants I called my Charlie Browns and I was wearing them on stage in a power metal band, you know, it was like, Listen, that's, I, that's your thing. You know, it was, it definitely was at that Listen, time. Listen, Angus Young wore a kilt, right? That was his thing. Yep. All right. Yeah. You know, you can, you can have, you can have, actually do you wear a kilt? Or I just make that up. No, I don't think he wore. He wore. Who wore a kilt? Who am I thinking of? Never mind. He wore a schoolboy's outfit. Yeah, he wore schoolboy. Somebody, outfits. guys, somebody wore a kilt. All right, and we're gonna find out who. <laughs> Van Williams wore a kilt. He he did. 
And by uh, the way, what's up, Van? Uh, I just uh, was texting with him yesterday. By the way, we're talking so about glad to hear about uh, Van from Nevermore. That's yeah. what we're talking about. He would he would play in a, a kilt with his balls jang- jingling and uh, jangling. Oh, uh, you want to hear the worst story about that? One time I was helping him carry out his drums, and I don't know how it happened, but his drum stool fell right in my face, and that had to be the most disgusting, horrible smell I could have ever smelt in my life. Thanks, Van. Just just uh, drown yourself in Purell. Yeah. A, <laughs> and ho- hopefully you don't get staph in- infection. So speaking of Nevermore, uh, some, some, somewhere along that timeline, you started being, you were, you were never officially in Nevermore, right? You were a touring mm-hmm. member. Yeah, I was a touring guitarist. How did, how did that all come about? That was uh, when Jag Panzer had played some festivals over in Europe at the same time as Nevermore. And I'd known about Nevermore from being label mates yeah. and, and obviously checking out. Great band. Yeah. So that's, that's how I first heard Nevermore actually was we went to Central Media's warehouse in Germany. And they're like, oh, just, you know, grab some CDs you like. And we were like, sweet you know i remember those days yeah exactly they don't make those days anymore you know now you're lucky if you get a copy of your own cd but uh (laughs) at any rate so so i'm like looking through and i'm like oh what's this nevermore politics of ecstasy it looks it looks cool i'm gonna grab that and then i was blown away from there you know and then dead heart and the dead world came out and it just i mean obviously they they had um what was dreaming 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 neon Neon black Black, that's right and then uh uh yeah dead heart in the dead world you know and it was just like wow this band's on fire you yeah. know so at any rate so we were playing a festival together and and uh i met jeff and i met the guys in the band and um ultimately they called me later on because they needed a, a touring guitarist um mm-hmm. to fill in for some gigs so they just they just knew you from jag panzer and yeah i think so yeah. i don't you know i don't know their their side of it exactly you know how much investigative work they'd done well it's it's interesting to me that you didn't end up becoming a member because i listened to act of defiance and if anything of all the bands you've played with that kind of since you're you're the main writer in in act of defiance like your your style lines up a lot more with the nevermore style absolutely you know i a lot of jeff's and my influences are right back to square one with like jason becker and you know early influence of uh eddie van halen and ingve and and all of those players um and yeah i think i think stylistically that i was very in tune with with what they were doing and I had um, actually talked to Worrell about, you know, potentially, hey, you know, I'd be interesting, interested in becoming a, a permit member. And it really kind of seemed to fall on deaf ears. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, oh. I, I, I think with them, you know, I just I just wonder because they were a two guitar player band. I was such a fan mm-hmm. of, of them and it was just being like a super nerd. Right. And then eventually uh joining the label and then one our one of the first tours i ever did was with nevermore and so we got really really close to those guys and yeah. i think with them what happened was on dead heart that was the first record that jeff was the only guitar player and it was so and right. it was such a kind of a watershed moment for the band i wonder if that kind of 
they're like, uh, you know, it's it's not broke, you know, Lord, you know, that that kind of thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I know, but, so. I but Steve did join for a minute, right? Steve, I thought he was part of the band. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah, I think he was for the record after that. I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the the name of it. Um, but um, so I mean, what was that experience like? I mean, because obviously Nevermore was a step up in terms of right. the, the the notoriety and the, and they were a lot busier and yeah. what, what was what was that what did that what do you kind of learn from that experience uh i learned that uh a step up in appearance isn't always a step up that you would perceive um, <laughs> that i mean you know jeff is one of the most talented guitarists in this genre of music and, and nicest and, guys yeah if and, I was a, as good as him, I wouldn't be nice. I'd be a dickhead to everyone. Right. <laughs> and and Van as well. Van is extremely talented and a uh, very cool dude. And, yes. you know, just straight up honest, you know, tell you like it is kind of guy. Um, but I have never walked into a band that was more dysfunctional yeah. than that. Like as a cohesive unit, they were constantly imploding exploding coming back together and you know they were like they were like family members that get into the most crazy fights in a way you know like that well, well kind jim of and Worrell, they've been playing together what since the 80s yeah yeah you know yeah i mean listen i i've being having toured with them being being close with them uh being such a big fan and also you know hearing the stories from you know steve joe over, oh yeah you know yeah. he's at Used to be and Central, he helped Central them out Media. big time, yeah. Yeah, you know, he told me a bunch of stories about, you know, when they were doing the last record and, and, and what was going on. And, um, you know, I don't want to over, you know, over speak my, my bounds or kind right. of speak, yeah, speak out of turn or kind of put their, their business out there. But obviously there was a lot of uh, turmoil there or they would probably still be together. They would be, yeah, they would still be together. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's kind of your, 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 your main thing. So, and you were playing with them from when to when? Uh, let me see. It was off and on between like 2001 and 2006, maybe. Mm -hmm. So did you? So did you actually leave? Stop playing with them before you went to Megadeth? Or, yes. Okay, so that was already kind of wrapped up. Yeah. And that was on your your decision. You're like, I've I've had enough of the uh, yeah, <laughs> the absolutely. <chaos. laughs> yeah. Yes, and it, it was. So did you go back to Jag Panzer, or were you just chilling at home? Well. Uh, I'd never left Jag Panzer. Okay, so you're just kind of doing both. Yeah. So going back to what you were talking about earlier, Jag Panzer has always had a lot of points of inactivity in terms of touring and stuff like that. So yeah. that for me, you know, I wanted this was what I wanted to do with my career, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so I was trying to get out and play as much as I could. And, and you know. Were you... Like you said, the the idea of appearances, mm -hmm. maybe something you're thinking is one way, and maybe the reality you learn is something different. Did that demoralize you in any way, or or discourage you? Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names, and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of the Five Hundred, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone magazine's Five Hundred Greatest Albums list from 2012, with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of the Five Hundred come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever. You you get your podcasts hey you did you have any plans this year <laughs> how's that going did you get 2020 well welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself benny goodman 
And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band La Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! No, it didn't discourage me at all, um, but I'm not sure I quite understand like what you mean by the, the, uh, the illusion of appearances. No, no, because I remember you were saying before that uh, I was saying that Nevermore to me was a step up. Oh yeah, yeah. That like that situation and 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 obviously their situation being challenging. You know, yes, did that yes. discourage you at all? Uh, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was discouraging. Um, but it wasn't discouraging uh, in sen- in the the sense of music itself or the industry or yeah. anything like that. It just kind of left me wondering, you know, why why people wouldn't be you know a little more together a little more together we'll put it that way yeah well i think it's i think it's the nature of artists mm-hmm. and i think if you look at the history of rock and roll yeah. what what if if it if it's anything it's a it's a history of kind of people walking that edge you know and there's Absolutely. The, and there's and to me there's definitely a correlation between great art and kind of somewhat unstable individuals you know like that that line that what the genius right. of of these certain individuals, and you know, we can go down the list whether it's Jimi Hendrix or right. Kurt Cobain or, or yada yada yada. But I think those in in those time frames, there was a lot more forgiveness in the industry where they supported. Yeah, and there's a lot more money. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about today. You know, you're you're talking about, you know, you look at your budget like you scrutinize everything mm-hmm. just to be able to get out and tour. You, you can't afford to just, you know, be mindless about everything and roll through the tour. Now it's, uh, it just wouldn't happen. You know, tours would get canceled and that's, you know, oftentimes that's what happened when I was touring with Nevermore as shows would get canceled and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I, the, I always say the, the, we have a shorter leash mm-hmm. and oftentimes the bands that do make progress, uh, these days is often not the most talented band, but in a way the most competent. Yeah. You know, in terms of like you said, logistics, uh, being on time, showing up, right. uh, being you know, making sure that you're really on top of all the other elements of your business besides just the music. So right, yeah. you know, I, I would say the 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 motley crew of today would not survive. You know, no, the Guns and Roses, and it, and I, it is unfortunate because I love the idea of that. Right, I love the idea of just you know 
partying and it's, it's mythical. living the lifestyle. It is mythical in my mind. I because I, I I missed it. On I I caught like the tail end of it. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> yeah. But you know, for me, it's ultimately my love is for music yeah. and not being a rock star or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's just to be able to create. That's probably the thing I'm most passionate about is is creating music. Um, and then secondly would be taking it to people and, and really having the audience be a part of it. That's yeah. the biggest thing for me playing live is is really the audience becoming part of the show and, and being in it, you know? Yeah, well, that's that's really, I think, the the thing that keeps so, so much of us going and that feeling early on when you first get on a stage and then you connect. Yeah. Like, that's a very special thing when you have an audience in unison with you and completely reacting and you get energy from them and you're get you're pumping them up and it's and especially once you're in a position where your band actually people kind of care about your band right. and all of a sudden it's like whoa i remember when no one gave a shit and now all of a sudden they're singing our words they're they yep. know the parts and it's um yeah that that feeling is is very very kinetic and amazing absolutely you know yeah. so how did uh the megadeth gig come about it actually happened really quickly yeah. and with it, it was uh you know uh from what i understand on the back side of it um there was willie g you know willie willie g we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get willie g on the pod oh i can't wait you, you should oh i would well i, I you should just a- give him a list of things to talk about like things to complain he likes, about he loves to, you want to here's here's what you want to talk to willie about you want to talk to him about palm trees the band trouble yeah sandy beaches <laughs> Palm like trees. he loves palm trees and sandy beaches. But this is a man. Does that. he ever go on vacation? Does he work eight no. days a week? I'm being totally sarcastic. <laughs> he he will rant about two hours about how much he hates those things. By the um, way, for those who don't know, Willie G is guitar tech for Mustaine. He's worked for uh, King Diamond, and yeah. we met him on on Nevermore. And he Nevermore. actually played bass guitar for God forbid for two shows. Did he really? Yes, he did. That's awesome. And it was amazing. It was the first all black God forbid lineup <laughs> that it will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so 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 willie g actually put you he he, he was uh one of the people who had recommended me along with uh sean drover and his brother glenn um so i get the call and i almost thought it was a joke because you know the guy's like yeah how would you feel about being the lead guitarist in megadeth and i'm like looking at the phone like well, is this a joke you know kind of well, of course I would, you know? And uh, so I went down and uh, met with Dave at his house um, at the time that was down in um, Escondido or Fallbrook. Yeah. Mm, California. Yeah, California. And um, and we just sat there and, you know, talked about, you know, what would be expected and stuff like that. And from there, literally, I just got to work with the music. You know? So there, there wasn't... A situation where they were auditioning multiple people not that i know of they they could have been on the side but yeah that that wasn't it wasn't like i got to his door and there was a line of people you know so did you do an actual like audition i would say not so much really that's crazy to me yeah. that's really hard to believe well i think it was one of those things where um based on the recommendations and material that was already out there yeah they can find out how 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 good you were right well the thing is i think you're also one of those guys where um, especially like you know, listening to the the act of defiance stuff is you're as competent 
a rhythm guitar player as you are a lead player where as oh, you thanks. as you probably know there's a lot of shredders out there mm -hmm. who are not who do not put the time into the rhythm side of right, it right. and Megadeth you know I remember reading all of the you know Megadeth's one of my probably top five right you know cha literally changed my life seeing you know wow um it's right there with with everything you know um so very very you know um biogra autobiographical for me right um, in my in my 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 metal experience so i would remember reading an interview in guitar world and him talking and dave talking about when marty first joined the band and not really having the rhythm chops and he had to kind right. of and, and obviously he was such a dynamic lead player that he was like well that's fine we'll we'll work on that we'll get you and he kind of had to build him up but you know that i imagine if he didn't do the audition that he probably felt you had the rhythm chops to kind of yeah, I don't. You never know. I mean, I may have been just lucky enough to, to step into a situation where they really needed a guitarist right yeah. away. Well, you. And, well, the, the interesting thing about when you joined is that was really catching the band on this upswing, which mm -hmm. you know, to me, obviously they had that um, hiatus where he had the issue with the hand and. Right. and um, you know, and and they had the kind of the main lineup that was there for so long had had dissolved and and for me, I you know, and I'm sure Megadeth fans around around were probably in step with this. Was the system has failed? Was like the record where like all right, right? Me, oh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm getting back into it. And then yeah, United Abominations, and then you came in on Endgame, right? Endgame, yeah, yeah. And that was like to me, that was like Megadeth is back. You know, oh, as far awesome. as I was concerned. Well, I I, nice. I really loved. Um, Obviously, I think the stylistically, it was becoming more the thrash kind of roots were kind of coming back a little bit. Right. I love the fact that Andy Sneap was working with the band. I yeah. think it 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 really obviously you I know, think that, he pushed he he pushed the the heavy thrash side of things. Yeah, he really did, and and he helped shape the way that that album sounds. Mm -hmm. So you came in when the album before it was written. Or was it like how, how? What did you have to do with the end game? It was it was written while while I was in the band. Okay. So there were parts that, um, you know, parts that were conceived as we were recording, and and he I think he had riffs prior to that as well. Mm -hmm. So you know, and and Dave does you know most all of the writing. So, so is it, so I'm, I'm so, you know, this is maybe a little bit seeing how the sausage is made. I, I, right. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but it, is it a situation where he pretty much comes in with songs done and, and he like shows you a demo or is it more like showing you in the room? How does, how does that process usually work with, with that? It's really a, a mix because so let's say he had a riff that he, that he was interested in, you know, he would record that riff and he would kind of get them, get the song moving. I mean, it's actually very, very common and very typical, I think in the writing process, but so he would, he would have the riff and then he would start, you know, coming up with the second riffs and stuff. So we would see the entire building process mm -hmm. of how things are going. But is this on the computers in a room? How is it? Yeah, for the most part, it's on the computer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And is he, is he working with like an engineer? Is he doing it yeah. himself? Okay. Yeah. So in, in that case, he was working with Sneep. Okay. Yeah. So he's like almost writing in the studio, or is this like absolutely? Yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize it was it was that um, intense. So now you know we talk about the kind of seeing that step up or maybe perceived step up going right, Nevermore, right. but this mm -hmm. is a definitive. This was this definitely. Is a, um, um, this is the big four, bro. 
Yeah. The big, yeah. this is, you know. And it was, it, it was definitely, you know, I don't, in a sense, I don't like to see it as a step up because you're, you're actually still doing exactly what you've always done. You're mm-hmm. playing your guitar, you're, you're playing for audiences, you know, and stuff like that. But it was made very evident the, this is when I first realized something we were talking about before this, this podcast, mm-hmm. where you were talking about, you know, 50% of it's the music and 50% of it's the image. Okay. And up until Megadeth, I was, I, for me, it was, no, it's 100% music, you know. Did that feel, in hindsight, naive? Uh, yes, it does now. Because it's uh, it goes into a little bit of the understanding of human psychology, mm-hmm. I think a little bit, and so in in what way? What was about the imagery with Megadeth? What do, what was that? You know the 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 way the band is perceived, um, the is way it, we carry ourselves. Well, well, I, I I've heard and, and and perhaps you can confirm this to me that there's some dress code situations where where he, he wants the band when they're out in public to look a certain way is that true yes yes absolutely um, he wanted tr- you to carry yourself a, a certain way yeah. yeah and what um is there any way to get any insight on that or is that a, a, a trade secret well i mean all you have to do is is look at my attire when i was in there or yeah. or typically so you wear like anyway. a button-up shirt so i yeah so i wore a, a button-up shirt on stage um 90 percent of the time mm. you know and um you know it would be different requirements like so that so this so. right now your your hair's in a pony's hill if you were out in public with Megan through your hair have to be out or with with the pony's hill be allowed it would ha- it would be preferred to be out okay yeah oh all right, all right. you can confirm or disconfirm this this rumor is it true that cuz i've had um during different eras of the band when there have been audition times for mm-hmm. other guitar players i was told that he doesn't want guys with uh, tattoos is that true uh i've heard that yeah you've heard that but wasn't told yes you don't do you i don't any... have any tattoos See, so, so i was never i was never told one way or the other okay yeah. no this is i'm telling you this is this is so fascinating um and listen i've i've had the opportunity to meet mm-hmm. dave but i, I right. never have just through circumstance or or whatever so so for me there is some distance there right um, right and yeah. you know so so now, and I know you say it's not the process itself isn't different, right. but there has to be a difference in your actual life, right? You're like, this had to change your life in a pretty significant way, right? Yes. Well, there was a lot more touring for sure. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. it's also a different kind of touring. I mean, yeah. you're, the production is there, the travel exactly. is different. I mean, did you, did you feel spoiled? Did you feel like you made it? You know, what? I, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't even like the word made it. Yeah. I, to me, that is. Yeah, because it, it, it seems like that it's over. You know, yeah. That they, oh, that's, oh the, the, the trip is done, but it's, it's really about keeping it going, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do feel like I was like, wow, I get my own guitar tech now, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the amenities have improved greatly. So yeah. we get a tour bus and we get hotel rooms. That was, those were really nice things to have, you know. Well, it sounded like to me, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, that in a very practical sense, you never got comfortable and took it for granted. Right. Yeah. That's what it sounds like you were always kind of keeping it the the whole idea of what it means to be in a band of that size kind of at arm's length. Well, think of it this way. When you look back at your playing, yeah, and you look at some of the most fond memories uh that you have. Isn't it really of a lot of the times you were there with your friends just 
shoestring budget, just barely, you know, in a van, like having not slept for, you know, 25 well, hours and you, you're getting ready to do the next gig. And you know what I mean? There, There's a, a camaraderie, camaraderie that's built on that kind of um, necessity, you yeah. know? And um, not that I would want to live my life permanently in that state, but there's there's something to be said just for toughing it out. Yeah. You know? Well, I think there's the the purity sense of it in, in a sense mm -hmm. when when there is not some kind of uh, financial windfall or something right. of, of that nature or some the band isn't huge. You're really doing it for the act itself a right. lot a lot of the time. And so so in a sense, you can kind of be a little bit more connected to why you're doing it in the first place yeah you know so yeah. it, it it listen and, I, and i've been in situations where i've been on a tour where i wasn't really into it or i was kind of sick of everyone or i wanted to go home and you're just kind of going through the motions and mm -hmm. um you know that's and and you're like oh you know maybe it was a tour you didn't really want to do but you're just you're just trying to pay your bills or something like that right right and yeah and that's don't times like that have been a bum out right know? um and and I think trying to get back to that thing of like, why am I doing this? Right. You Absolutely. Know, you know, is, is definitely it's, or like just situations where I was like, you know, waiting for the show to get over so I could just go party or something. Which right. is like, well, no, in everything you do in life, there's, if there's going to be good and bad times yeah. involved with it, that's just the way it is. But to me, it's, it's funny when I look, when I look back on my, you know, on the history of my playing and stuff, some of the fun, like, it's the weirdest thing. I know I was feeling like total hell at the time, but I have a really fond memory of a tour I did with Jag Panzer in the middle of winter up in northern Europe that was it was just brutally cold. <laughs> it's, and it sounds it sounds cold. I can hear the yeah. the, the the winds of of winter. Yeah. <laughs> but but and we were playing these shows where we had to haul our gear out in the cold for uh, there was this one show where it was probably I don't know, probably 300 feet just to get it in the door of the, the auditorium, the place that we were playing. And then they shoveled us right, you know, right when we got done with the last show, we had to do like a 12 hour, hour van ride to get to the studio to record a, um, a Dio tribute song, you know, and then we had to get right on the plane and fly home. And this, we all had um, pneumonia. Jeez. And I just remember going through TSA like, stinky and just and i i'm like they're gonna search me you know and i'm gonna be smelly and stinky and i don't even give a damn you know i was that i i got on the plane and i was out before the wheels went up yeah. and and i got home and i slept for the next three three days straight <laughs> you know but there was something where we were all in it together to make it happen you know i don't think any of us wanted to 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 get that uh that dio tribute recorder we were done we were spent but we made it happen and yeah it's, it sounds like boot camp almost yeah yeah it was it was pushing pretty... you to to your lot to the logical extreme and kind of see if you can you can take it but then it, at the ultimately it feels more earned yes absolutely i can I, I can imagine so in your your time in megadeth um one thing i noticed you know was how can, there's always records like it seems like yeah. that band runs like on a clock absolutely um but in in my my opinion just as a fan i feel like i'm almost i get annoyed sometimes at bands that put out records too often mm -hmm. because it actually doesn't allow 
me to crave a record right you know like i want that like i almost prefer especially like established bands yeah like three or four years is like good for me like i don't right. i don't need it every year and a half but right. they were and i felt like you know i was really into those you know united abominations Endgame, mm-hmm. and then the last couple kind of didn't hold my attention right right as as much um did you Outside of the the guitar solos and stuff, were you allowed to be part of the writing process, or is that one of the reasons why you left the band? Uh, we were encouraged, but I would say that ultimately, you know, it, uh, you know, it has to sound like Megadeth. Yeah, and it's a ver- it's the- such a w- unique sound of a band. Like, I right. mean, there's not that many bands in in metal that. It's just it's just this thing that sounds yeah. like Megadeth, and I can't even yeah. put my finger on what it is, but. And quite honestly, you know, it's that's also doing a service to the fans too. Of course, the fans of the band, um, you know, and uh, so, you know, that it's it's under that kind of scrutiny, and and then the acceptance of riffs based on that criteria. Yeah, and was it did it so did it did it feel open or did it feel very restrictive? Well, I think for me, you know, I always want to be, I always want to be in a, a place where I can you know, actively write and express myself the way I want to, and which is ultimately what led to me leaving. So um, it did feel restrictive in yeah. that sense. You did know. it just feel like it just kind of ran its course? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, I mean, I knew I knew exactly what I was doing in Megadeth and, and that, you know, I was filling a role in Megadeth and, um, you know, doing doing my job to the best of its ability. Did it always feel like a like a hired gun thing? Did it? Did you absolutely. Never, yeah. Really, it never yeah. felt like I'm in Megadeth. No, no. Um, I think the the perception was that we wanted to give give that, but ultimately, you know, it, it's it's Dave's band, and yeah, yeah. So it's like you're on borrowed time in a sense that there's a a kind of definitive lifespan to that you know to me that just depends because it depends on why you're there you know if to me i felt like i felt like a really highly glorified cover guitarist in a way yeah so it it did not kind of scratch that itch of your artistic fulfillment right absolutely yeah man i mean it's um because you look at that band and i don't want to say there's a revolving door but there's certainly there's consistent turnover, you know, mm-hmm. outside of really Ellison coming right. back in, in into the fold, and you know, no, I'm totally speaking as um, an outsider in this, but obviously, um, Dave is known to be one of the strong, more stronger personalities, and well, right, right. and obviously, well earned his mm-hmm. his place to be able to uh, call the shots, and He's, obviously, there's exactly, and that's that's the thing. So if you're if you're in that position, the position I was, and you you're totally fine with that for you know however long you plan on playing your instrument or whatever then you you probably would do well yeah yeah well so you leave the band mm-hmm. and then your drummer leaves to was that together did you guys form a no pact? it was uh i had been thinking about leaving for a long time um but uh it was really the set of circumstances of going into recording the next CD that, that... Is this a CD after 13? Right. Okay. So, um, no, this is this is after Super Collider. Okay, Super Collider. Super yeah. Collider. And uh, so it was the, you know, the idea that, 
you know, Dave's starting to call us to, to work on the next CD and, you know, my heart's just not in it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not feeling it. And that seemed like the appropriate time to leave. And Sean left and I was like, he made the right decision. And so I decided to leave after that. Okay. Did you guys never had a discussion about that? It was kind of just, he left and then you were like, yeah, I guess I'm not feeling it. And then how, how I think, you, you know, I mean, we talked about how we were feeling, but not about leaving whatsoever. Yeah. We talked about, you know, just, just, uh, not having any desire in it, mm -hmm. you know? So how, how soon after, after leaving the band, did you know you wanted to start something fresh, like ground up? Well, your... that's, that's where the, the conversation. So my initial idea was I was going to work on my own solo stuff mm. and I had started talking to Sean and he, you know, we were talking about how, uh, you know, we have all this material and we'd love to get it out. And was this stuff that you had written for Megadeth or like stuff for your solo record? Some of, well, none of it for my solo, well, my solo stuff. So I, I categorize the, the things that I write and. And this is going to be like super shreddy kind of type. My like, solo record. Yeah. Was would be have been more like yeah. instrumentally based. In right. Record. Exactly. And then, um, you know, riffs that I think were more appropriate for vocals and stuff like that went into another category. And so those were the riffs that I think we were talking about when we were like, hey, well, we'd love to get this stuff out. And well, why don't we? Yeah. Why don't we just try and release a record and see how it does? And then from there, it quickly became, well, if we're going to do that, let's, let's make a real go of this and put a band together and and make it happen and that's that's really what happened you know when i left megadeth well it's it's incredible to me looking at your career because it's such a what's what's unique about it is that usually most people it's like they start a band with their buddies and that band gets notoriety and they kind of do their thing and then maybe that band ends and they go on to do something else right. but you were this guy that kind of jumped on these other ships absolutely that, that were yeah. already moving so mm -hmm. was that something kind of hanging over your head that entire time, just feeling always like a um, like a stowaway on someone else's ship? <laughs> um, I don't know that I felt like a stowaway, but I felt like I do feel like that I've never I've never really been in something that I wholly could own. Yeah, so know? ownership that that has you know. Speaking of psychology, right. you know that that has to have a pretty big psychological effect on how committed you're going to be to something, right? If you're not. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah. I mean, for my part in Megadeth, you know, it, I have some of the best memories from that, you know, uh, the big four shows of course come to mind. That's yeah. those are, I'm, I'm looking at a, a, the big four record. Yeah. Right. The, the DVD. Um, yeah, it's, a, uh, it's, it's awesome. That's part you know? of, that's, that's going to be, that's part of metal history and that's something, um, yeah, you're you know you'll be able to show people down down the line. I mean, right. that I you know I, I wouldn't even say I'm envious. I'm almost um, in in awe of, of something like that because it's right. bigger. Something like that's bigger than any of us, right? In a way, yeah, exactly. And to me, it was it's it's about those experiences and having those experiences. But and most of all, again, it comes back to the fans because you know playing those shows without the fans and their interaction would have been worthless. Yeah, you know, and uh, throughout all of my time in Megadeth, those are the fondest memories I have. Is 
is just the fan interaction coming up to the edge of the stage where they're singing the 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 lyrics or they're they're actually humming the solo as i'm playing it i almost feel like just taking the mic and putting it in their See, face and there's like saying you know there's like four bands on earth where they sing the solo and megadeth is one of them or yeah. they sing the riff yeah almost no one sings the riff right <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing especially you know you go to uh down to argentina or south america you know in general and that's the most amazing thing ever it's just like a sea of beavis and buttheads yeah and it, <laughs> they're great they're all awesome so to me yeah that that is that's really my fondest memories of, of being there you know well, it's, it's, I think it's really in, in, incredible. And in a sense, that getting that notoriety and pu- taking, you know, I think a lot of people don't really understand is is you can be in a band, mm-hmm. um, but you might not necessarily have an individual profile, right? right? Where, you're, where your personal brand kind of matters, but you built your own profile enough up enough so that by the time you did start another band, people actually gave a shit about Chris yeah. Broderick. Yeah, and I'm very fortunate for that because I think again we were talking before your your podcast where you know, you're like, "Oh, you have substantial uh social media followers." And I'm just like, "I have no idea how that happened." Really. I can tell you how it happened. Yeah. I I and I I noticed this is that in a sense the really really the people that can really fucking play. Like mm-hmm. just a bone like I like the way I look at it, like guys like you, guys like Jeff Loomis, like I feel like you guys do a different thing than me. Like it's on mm. another level where I'm just like, it's it's like I'm <laughs> I'm jogging and you guys are like Usain Bolt. <laughs> and listen, I can, you know, the rhythm stuff. I'm probably ninety percent there with that. But just that there's you know, because some people even ask me like, hey, you gonna try for Megadeth? I'm like, I'm not that guy. I'm more of a Mustang than I am the the lead. Player. Yeah, like I listen. I'm a I'm a pretty good lead lead player, but I'm not. I've not studied on that level right. and I've never sat there and kind of a, wanted to attain that level of proficiency and, and right. going, you know, it's, it's on another level as, as far as I'm concerned. And I think those people, to me, you guys are in a virtuoso class mm-hmm. and there's always going to be that uh, group of musicians that are going to want to study that and be into that because it's incredible to watch people like you do what you do because there's not that many people that can do it. Well, thanks. No thanks. I, I appreciate that. Listen, man, it ain't, ain't by accident you've, <laughs> you've, you've had the opportunities you have. It's it's because of the work you put in, you know, and, and having a, 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 a true unique ability. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I feel fortunate, you know, um, because uh, I feel like I feel like the ability I do have on the instrument, uh, I've had to fight for, you know? Well, I don't think I, I just picked it up and things started happening. I've had to practice Well, you're so very much. regimented. Like you, I've heard you have like a workout regimen and, yeah. and, um, and a practice regimen that you do. Is it every day or like? Every, what's your, every day, yeah. What's your, In can, fact, can, right now, you are cutting into my practice regimen. Well. That's it. Listen, you know what I'm doing is I'm, I am taking some of my sloth right and I, am, I am placing on you and i'm sucking your energy so after this i'll be doing like crunches and yeah. you, know, you know get get some protein what what it actually is your your, your regimen of, of discipline so if, if uh if i have a typical day off like uh today or you know any day that i don't teach um i would typically come out here or you know this is my current schedule uh typically get out here i usually start practicing by like 10 and i'll practice anywhere up until four 
or somewhere around in there. And then I'll go to the gym and, and work out after that. Mm. And that's, that's, that's my typical routine for those two things. Is your, is your practice regimen, um, scheduled? Like I'm working on this kind of technique for this amount of time and this for this amount of time, or is it loose? It's funny because I've gone through very dogmatic, uh, scheduling of my, my practice in the past. And, uh, I do that a lot less now, mm. but I find that I'm more, much more focused on what I need to get done. Is writing part of your practice or is that different? It's like writing over here. No, and practicing. Here writing. Here. Yeah. Writing is like writing is a very different time for me. But one thing that does happen is, um, as I'm practicing sometimes, you know, I'll stumble across something that I think sounds really cool. So the first thing I'll do is to the best of my ability, develop that idea to the point to where I feel like, okay, if I put this away, I'll know it's intent. I'll feel that original excitement about it that I had when I, when I just stumbled upon it. And, uh, so I'll get it up to, to a point to where I feel like it represents itself well mm -hmm. and I'll video record it and I'll just put it in my, my stash of riffs and ideas. Right on, right on. So I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I wanted to ask you just a little bit about active defiance. Obviously that's this, you know, this show is very reflective mm -hmm. in, in, in a lot of it, but it never completely makes the, the story isn't really fully told until it talks about what you're working on now. And I think right. obviously what you're doing now is as relevant as, as anything. I, you know, got the new record. I like the first record. I like the new record. Um, the new record just dropped last week. You know, it's pretty amazing, you know, looking at who's in the band mm -hmm. and it's pretty much all veterans. I mean, I, I guess Henry, is like the kind of the newest guy because he came out with uh, Scar the Martyr, you know, right? Maybe, Absolutely, you know, three or four or four or five years ago. Um, but you guys are starting from scratch, and what you know, you're not obviously now it's the second record. So you, right when the band started, what was that process like? You know, looking for a record label, getting out there, yeah. touring, kind of. What, was it brutal? What it know? was, it was really stressful yeah. because, and it was self induced stress. Like both Sean and I had this idea that we had to get the material out ASAP, you know. Do, so do you you think you rushed it? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit uh, because we didn't we didn't go through and and refine it. I think um, and look at you know the um, the format of the songs and um, uh, just the the way the song begins and moves through all of its parts and and ends. Uh, some of it, I think, was a little long-winded, you mm. know, so we could have cut some of it, you know, it's like the movie you watch when you're like, yeah, they could have clipped, you know, 45 I, minutes of you this. You could do thing. like, like, God forbid did this, even I, I, I filled in with Darkest Hour, and mm -hmm. they'll, they'll, like, same thing, I think, I don't know what it is about being those young, early mistakes where you're just a little long-winded, you just do the live version where you cut the song down. <laughs> I've never thought about doing that. I'm telling you, it, you know, the the crowd almost but never notices. That, they never notice. That goes against something that I've carried since even before Megadeth, which is once a CD is in public domain, it really belongs to them. Mm -hmm. And to change it because of what you think is I'm telling you, they don't. It's a little. It's a little thing, like maybe like cutting a last verse, or like maybe if it's a long outro, just little. I'm telling you, they don't even notice. <laughs> They're, they hear the record, even though you. That's it for our next tour. We're just gonna go on. We're gonna get on stage. We're gonna do a medley, and we're gonna get it right off. Actually, no. The only thing that pisses me off that this that has been done on this is um, Metallica changes how they play Blackened live, mm -hmm. where they don't 
go the dead dead with the one time when the the beat they change the beat on that riff i they right. cut I, they've seen them cut out and they go right into the third verse and i'm like yo man that's that's what i live for all right <laughs> don't don't change it metallica so i can change it but not metallica right <laughs> metallica's only band they can't right <laughs> don't edit listen if, if so, the album goes platinum then don't cut it how about that? All right, is that all the right. rule? Is that well? <laughs> that yeah. could be the rule. Hey, I would I would hope to run up against that rule. <laughs> That's that would what I'm be saying. Awesome. That's right. You know, I I think we can we can afford that of, of ourselves. But um, but no, I mean, I, I was really listen. I I know what it takes to to start fresh. Um, and I I also understand that um that is going the hard way because yeah. so many people in my position or your position coming off of, of a known band, you have a name, you probably could have joined another band, band if you pursued that right. option, right? You could do, you know, Jeff, like Jeff, obviously he's in um, Arch Enemy. Yeah. And, and for people of your caliber and your experience, there are opportunities, but you decided mm -hmm. to say, hey, we're going to go out there. Are you guys touring in a van? Oh, yeah. Well, Listen. you saw the RV out front, didn't oh, that you? Was when the you RV. Pulled up? That's, that's, that's my, my tour oh, bus right oh, there. Oh, see, see, they got there, they're in the RV, um, you know, all of a sudden, the guitar tech like, "Where's where's my guitar tech? Where where he yeah, go?" Yeah, <laughs> he he's he's not he's not around right now. <laughs> you know, you're 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 lugging gear. You're you know yeah. the you're you're and you know it's not like you guys are doing. You know, I saw you you did tours with like uh, was it Legion? How do you a Legion? A Legion. That's how you yeah, his name. yeah. You no, know, so you're kind good of buddies. In, yeah, yeah. So you're like in in, in the the nitty gritty. Yeah, and, and they really to to their credit, uh, a Legion really helped us out because in what way? Because they knew the ropes, mm -hmm. you know, and when we when we went to to go do a tour with them, we, we didn't know them at that time, and they could have been the biggest assholes on the planet or whatever, and and uh, they were more than willing to to help us with the logistics and and what kind of uh, problems we might face, you know, and stuff like that, and uh, they really helped us big time, mm -hmm. yeah, and since then, you know, have, have become really good friends with them. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, like you said before, the 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 things we really take away from it, I think, in, in all these years, is are the relationships mm -hmm. and the the community of of metal, especially in the, when you're, you know, at the early stages in your in, in your building. Those little things matter, you know. Absolutely. You know, just like yeah. oh, this these guys let us sleep on their couch. Hey, these guys, you know bought us dinner that day or just just all those those little things and and they they go a long way absolutely yeah i, I noticed uh so did you guys feel like you like you said you you felt like you made a couple mistakes on that first record but mm -hmm. um how are you feeling with the uh with the new album now i think uh with old scars new wounds uh i i really i really feel proud of the cd because um not only you know, were was I able to try and get the the kind of playing that I wanted to on the album, but I felt like we really came together as a band. That's mm. that's the the thing with Birth and the Burial. You know, like I said, Sean and I were we were like, oh, we got to get this out right away. So we're sitting there writing material, looking for auditioning singers, that trying to scope out record labels. You know, trying to trademark the name all of this logistical stuff and 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 you know we managed to get the cd turned in in like four months within within that time frame it was concise i was really impressed i think so even though you said you think you might have rushed it 
I think the idea of kind of coming out into this kind of united front yeah. of like not missing a beat is right. actually really impressive too because I've listen, I've been that guy, oh, I'm shopping stuff and there's so many people who are like this guy from that band, this guy from that band and they they can't get a record deal. People, right. you know, it we sometimes yeah. we think we over kind of overvalue our um our past uh, resumes. But you guys came out with, a, you know, the, the record was strong. The vi- I remember seeing the video for Throwback, and I was like, fuck. Cool. This is, <laughs> no, like, you guys came out strong. You made a really great impression and was like, dude, these guys, they have a plan. They're on top of it. They're yeah. working, you know. I'll so- tell you what, though. We didn't feel on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, but- it was very much a credit to Metal Blade, too, yeah. for, for helping us out. And Brian Slagle um, really showing support. So Right on, man. Well, well, uh you know, I think the new record is great. You know, I'm, thank I think you. you guys did a did a did a great job, and um, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I think I think this is a, uh, you know, I don't know how much of of your story is is out there, kind of top to bottom, but um, yeah, you know, that's hopefully we can provide like a platform here for people to say, hey, man, how did you how did you get here? Right, this is right. crazy. Well, I think it, yeah, and I think that was, you know, being fortunate, like being, you know, getting, seeing the opportunities and taking them when when they present themselves, you know, and for every opportunity that I've been afforded, there were at least four, you know, that, that I didn't get, you know, so you have to be, you have to, to get used to the idea of being rejected as well. So right on, but I won't reject you. (laughs) I will always accept you. (laughs) Chris Broderick. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. It was a great time.
Shun! So that was the opening track entitled M.I.A. from the latest album from Act of Defiance, Old Scars, New Wounds, and that's out on Metal Blade Records. I hope you guys enjoyed the song. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Chris Broderick. So much thanks to him. That was really a really, really great time. I want to appreciate him taking time out of his busy day because I did interrupt his his whole process, you know, he's doing a lot of practicing. He's doing a lot of working out. He's, he's, he's regimented. He's not like me. You know, Doc Coyle is, is getting down with donuts. Doc Coyle is going to the movies three, seven times a week. You know, that's how I roll. You know, so so I get to go and hang with, with real professionals and then take notes and then think about do doing what they do. I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't really do it, I, but I, th- I do think about it, you know. So that's that's how I roll. But anyway, that was a lot of fun. I really, really, really enjoyed this. I was actually going to have some other episodes come out before this, but I don't know, just something about it. I was like, you know, I'm going to put this out right away because I think you guys, you wanted it. So that's what I do. I give the people what they want. Thanks for listening. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.